Let Callum figure out how to turn that on. So for those of you who haven't been here on one of the Sundays, we're doing one of the painting launches. Uh, you'll see over on the easel there, um, we've got uh, the, the painting that's been recently finished. And very soon, we're going to watch the film that Ross has made. But by way of introduction to that... Um, Hello, Fiona. Hello. <laughs> um, so, I know there was plans you had for 2017, but what's 2017 actually turned out like for you? Uh, so, it's been an interesting year. Yes, my plans for 2017. Um, I had planned to leave my job at working with Tear Fund at the end of March. So, the plans for January through to March were to finish my job with a, with a bang, you know, kind of really get everything done that I needed to do, clear my inbox, you know, th th that kind of thing. Then I was going to take a couple of months off. I was going to go to Australia, New Zealand, visit friends, uh, take some time out from working. And then maybe around the summertime, I figured I was going to start some brand new, awesome job that I didn't quite know what it was yet. January was meant to be job hunting. And yeah, that was the plan for 2017. However, five days before Christmas last year, I found a lump in my left breast. And it didn't ruin Christmas because, you know, I was pretty sure it was just a cyst. Um, but on the 29th of December, I found myself lying in a hospital bed and hearing a doctor say, oh, we need to do a biopsy. And me saying, oh, so what is it? And she's like, well, you know, we can't tell. We need to do a biopsy. And I was like, what do you think it is? And she said, I'm pretty sure that's cancer. Um, so... My plans for 2017 had to be altered very radically and very quickly. And the plan instead became chemotherapy, followed by surgery, followed by radiotherapy, um, followed by a whole bunch of other uh, drugs and appointments and scans and, and all kinds of things like that. So, yeah. So the only thing I've actually managed to achieve in my original plan was I did still finish my job at the end of March. But apart from that, everything's looked slightly different. So uh, we're about to watch the film. Fiona and I will have a seat back in our chairs again. Uh, the film lasts for about 15 minutes, and uh, in a few days' time, if you want to see it again, it'll be up on YouTube. Um, so let's, let's take our seats and watch the movie. verse 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, 
how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We, we met in the priority areas office. Yes, that's right, we did. Um, There's a meeting. But, uh, and then we discovered we had mutual friends and actually probably knew each other years and years ago. But both of us have changed significantly yeah. and we don't remember each other from then. Um, but obviously we got to know each other more here. Mm, yeah. And are you, are you officially one of the elders? I am. I am, yes. I'm, I was probably about a year after St George's Tron was, was kind of on its feet. I was one of the people that, that officially joined the church. I was one of the 12 that stood up that Easter Sunday and said, right, this is now my church. Um, and yes, I'm now on, on the Kirk session, uh, part of the leadership team. Uh, I'm also a trustee of the Wild Olive Tree Cafe. Uh, yeah, this is, my, this is my spiritual home. Yeah, you know, you know this place inside out. Oh, I wouldn't quite say that. There's some unexplored corners, but, but yeah. So I thought it might be quite interesting to have a conversation with some of these words. And, and there's, there's words that have that get used and sometimes overused. <laughs> yes, there's some interesting words in there, but let me tell you how I feel about that one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to start with, I'm going to put two together actually. Yeah. I'm going to start with these two. So, peace and scared. So, I've chosen those two uh, because right at the start of this, when I was diagnosed with, with breast cancer um, at the start of January, I was terrified. I mean, really proper scared. Like, I remember, I remember sitting in my living room and, and having to phone. Some, I tried to tell some people in person, but others I had to phone. And I remember that throughout the month of January, I would have moments where I would actually just find myself starting to shake. And I couldn't really explain why I was shaking. Um, but my breast care nurse, who's been fantastic all the way through this, you know, she taught me through this, like, it's normal, you're, you're in shock, really. Um, so I was very scared at the beginning. And I remember that one of the things in January, before I'd started any treatments, people would say, what can we be praying for? And, and of course, many people immediately are like, we're going to be praying for healing. And I was like, great, super. But actually, what I asked for, it wasn't that I didn't want people to pray for healing for me, but I knew at that point what I needed was, I needed peace and I needed courage. Courage makes me think of... The B word. The B word. <laughs> brave. If anybody kind of thinks, oh, I've used that word, I've told you I think you're brave. Please do not think that I am judging you for saying that. <laughs> However, I have... I have found myself really having to examine that word and think, when people have said, do you know you're so brave? You know, I'm not brave for turning up to the hospital and letting them stick needles in me. I have no choice. If I want to get better, I have to turn up and I have to let them do that. So, so brave was a difficult word for me because I haven't felt worthy of it. 
However, I'm beginning to sort of think, think it through and become a little bit reconciled to it. I suppose I kind of think about it from the, the point of view of, it's the same when they talk about the word courage. No, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's, it's having the, the ability to, to be frightened but face the thing that you're going through anyway. And I suppose brave could apply to that too from the point of view of it, it's, it's not that it's nothing, but it's that you're facing it regardless. Yeah, brave's been a challenging word. I have not felt particularly brave, but I accept that actually, yeah, it means letting go and letting God. So. Right, so um, over that one. <laughs> well, follow, following on from the brave thing, that, that was one of the things I say that people quite often, I, I didn't, they give you an NHS prescription for a wig. And I went and I got the wig fitted. And it was a lovely wig. And as one of my friends said, you look like having your, you're having your best hair day ever. I know that it made me look normal for other people, but I didn't feel like me when I wore it. So without it, as long as I didn't catch sight of myself in a mirror, I felt like me. Whereas when I wore it, I felt like I was wearing this hot, itchy hat. Oh, okay. And it just didn't. And I don't normally wear a hat, so it felt quite unnatural. So future's an interesting one. Undergoing treatment, it was very hard to think of the future. And partly it's hard to think of the future because during cancer treatment, during chemotherapy certainly anyway, your world shrinks down to a three-week cycle. The future is about, well, surgery will be coming after this. And then once you get to surgery, then it's about, well, radiotherapy is coming, coming after that. And if I started to think beyond that, I just had this sense of, like, I can't do it. I can't really think beyond that. Um, and actually, you know, for all that there are good survival statistics for breast cancer, there's also quite worryingly high statistics for the number of people for whom it comes back or metastasizes. At that time, all I could think of was, well, do you know what? It's best to imagine a future where this will be part of my life for however long I have life because I can't, I have to envisage, envisage a worst case scenario so I can cope with this. And of course, the fact of the matter was that wasn't helping me cope, that was just weighing me down with worry and anxiety and, and fear, again, back to that word. So that's that's been interesting, that's been a bit of a process. And now that I'm at the end of what the class is active treatment, I've finished the holy trinity of chemotherapy, surgery, radiotherapy, I am now at a stage where it's like, okay, what's next? And I've, I've been really, I've been really encouraged this past week to feel that actually I can feel myself thinking about the future. And I have been able to, and I'm not saying I'm gonna be able to do this every day because there are good days and there are bad days. Yeah. But on a good day, I am able to compartmentalize it. Cancer is never not going to be part of my life now. There's a lot of milestones still ahead to me I have to get to, so cancer will, will, will be there. It will be one of the boxes in my life that I will have to live with and be aware of and watch out for. But I'm. I'm much more in a place now where it's one of the boxes and there are lots of other boxes with lots of other things in them, friends, family, work, church, fun, you know, there's other boxes. Whereas I would have said maybe three, four months ago, cancer felt like the whole box. There was just one giant box and it had the word cancer in it and it was, it was so hard to think of the future. But I, I think I'm getting there that there's, there is, there's a potential for a future now. Go on, you pick one now. Um, well, uh, I'm curious about that one. How much did death, how much was it on your mind at different times? 
quite a lot. Quite a lot. As a Christian, you've got that. Oh, I should be joyful about that because I get to go and be with Jesus forever. And, and you want to go, well, yes, of course, that would be fabulous. And you're like, ah, it will be fabulous, wouldn't it? And, and for me, it was a real crystallizing of, wow, you've paid lip service to this whole, you know, my belief in, in my belief in God, my, my belief in Jesus as my savior, my belief in the forgiveness of my sins, my belief in eternal life, you know, means that, you know, death holds no fear for me. And it's like, really? Does it actually hold no fear for you? And that's been quite a, an eye-opener to be like, okay, now the rubber hits the road. Do you actually believe this? Can you actually face up to the thought that actually you might not live your three score years and 10? And are you actually okay with that? And the answer at times was no. No, I'm really not. It's been a real revelation to me of, well, what's, what's the state of my relationship with Jesus? Uh -huh. If I'm not actually okay with the thought of, yes, you know, I get to lay down the, the turmoil of this life and I get, to, I get to be with him forever. And it's not wrong to love life. Yeah. You know, we were created to enjoy life. You know, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and the, this is the first stage of that, is this earthly life. And, and it's not wrong to have relationships with friends and family and that, that you don't want to give up or, or that you can't foresee what a change would look like. It's not wrong to enjoy things like coffee and plants and the sun and... and the thought of leaving this world when it's all we know is quite kind of like, ooh. And we also have the very human thing of, well, will it hurt? Probably. You know, it, it probably would hurt. It probably would involve suffering. And, and there will be the grief of, oh, I, won't, I wouldn't get to see this happen and I wouldn't get to see, you know, nephews and nieces grow up and become the men and women God intended them to be. But behind it all is the, you need to, you need to develop your relationship with God to the point where actually death holds no sting. And I suspect for most of us, I, you know, initially I could feel quite guilty about this, but then I'm like, I don't think I'm alone in this. Oh yeah. You know, um, most of us probably are not, not right, that ready or don't give it that much thought. There's, like, there's still things to do. There's still things to do. So I've had the, the gift this year of having to think through, what might this be like? I want to keep living with the prospect of death. If that doesn't sound too gloomy, and I don't, mean, I don't mean that from a place of fear and worry. I mean from a place of the recognition of this mortal body one day will fail, and there will be something else that will go on for eternity. And am I ready for that? When you had said that was that was the passage you were going to use, Luke 12, when Jesus said, you know, do I've always loved that passage. I mean, I love the Gospel of Luke anyway. Of all the Gospels, Luke's my Luke's my man. I, I, the Gospel of Luke is the one that speaks to me. Um, and I've always loved that passage because I've loved that reminder about you know look at the birds of the air look at the flowers of the field they're not burdened with the same cares we are and yet God looks after them and, and I've loved I've always loved the, the intimacy of God knows how many hairs are on your head because it's like wow well you get more than, than I do no, yeah, you know, nobody, nobody knows that nobody knows that but God, God knows that that within a vast universe with 7 billion people on the planet which is a number we actually just can't picture we have a God who actually knows how many years are in your head it's been an interesting one again to think about over the last yeah. few months though because this felt like the, probably one of the biggest things I've ever had in my life to worry about and I was like suddenly it's like do not worry it's like hi very good <laughs> how, how, how do I do not worry? And I've actually found myself thinking about it recently too, thinking about when Jesus said that, you know, I was like, was it given to us as a commandment? 
Is it a commandment? Do not worry. Or is it an aspirational teaching? What does Jesus mean when he says, do not worry? Does he mean, well, just, just don't worry. Like, that's a command. You've not to do it. And if you do do it, are you failing? Are you breaking a commandment? Or is it meant as a, like, I don't, I don't want to misquote scripture here, but, you know, there's, there's a bit, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect sort of thing. Um, and it's like, and we know that it's like, well, none of us is ever going to be perfect. We can try. We've to, that is what we've to aspire to. We've to aspire to Christ-like holiness. But we all realistically know that none of us will ever actually get that. But that's not to stop. You know, we've still to, we've still to aspire to that. It's to be that reminder during a couple of times of, well, look, don't, don't worry about this. Do it. Actually put this into practice. When you've got a bad, you know, a stressful situation or a worrying situation, you have to think about the fact that you're saying, look, don't worry. Even the very hairs in your head are numbered. And I quite like the humour of, even the very hairs in my head are numbered even when there is not a single hair left on my head. You know, the follicles are still there. So, you know, it's like your Heavenly Father knows the number of follicles that are here, there on your head, you know, because there's no actual hairs. Um, it would have been a lot easier to, you know, count the, the, the few eyelashes that were left at one, one time. Um, God knows that we worry about things. But he does also tell us not to. So I think that's a really important thing to work through with him and go, well, you need to, you need to teach me how to not worry then. Because in human terms, I'm very worried. So teach me how to not worry in spiritual terms. Thank you, Ross. So that wig, you don't want it? It's, it's up for grabs. <laughs> I could sell it to you for a very reasonable price. Well. <laughs> you might need a, to get it trimmed a wee bit. <laughs> it's kind of rock star. I could, I could do that. Um, you talked about uh, uncertainty being part of uh, the, the future, uh, for, for the foreseeable future. And um, I had had some news uh, just on Friday that the very first person that I painted in this uh, series, uh, Ferushta, who's in the, the first painting that's right at the back over there, the Mary and Gabriel one, um, just after, uh, just before I painted that, Ferushta had had the all clear, having had breast cancer treatment. Um, and uh, and it's, it's returned for her. Um, how are you feeling about the future? So, you can feel very hopeful in some days, and then you hear news like Farishta's, and you think, oh, that could be me one day. Um, and it, it could be, but it might not be. So, I think, as I said in the, the film, I don't want to reiterate too much of what was in the film, because I think it just, you know, it kind of captured a lot a of what we shared. Uh, shared. It's, it's, about, it's about trying to live with it. I think probably, I probably just want to end actually with saying about one of the, I was, I was trying to think of a piece of, a particular piece of scripture I would share, and in actual fact there's too many bits of scripture to share. Uh, the Psalms have been hugely important for me this year, right? At the beginning people kept saying to me, oh, I, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling I've got a, a word to share with you, and it's Psalm 91, and Psalm 91, Psalm 91 kept coming up, so that's been one of my Psalms for the year. I'm not going to quote from it just now because I'd misquote it, but 
go away and read it. It's worth it. Um, but but worship has been a huge part. You know, this, uh, I, I would never, I, I realized I'd forgotten I did this. I realized I used the word gift in there at one point. And I was talking to somebody the other day about how I would never refer to cancer as a gift. Because you do occasionally get people saying, oh, cancer was a real gift to me. I'm like, really? If it's a gift, it's one that I wanted to come with a gift receipt. And I could be like, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Can I exchange it for something nicer, please? Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that, that word. But in terms of positive things that have happened, I have felt very loved this year. I've felt very prayed for. I know so, so many of you have been praying for me and it has made a huge difference. Please be assured when you tell someone, I'll be praying for you, it actually does make, make a difference. Um, but I've had the opportunity to really practice things like, well, what does it look like to be able to spend more time with God in prayer and, and in worship? And worship's been very important. One of the songs that I learned, I think we're going to be singing it later, actually, I think we're going to be closing worship with it, is the song Oceans, which contains the lines, you know, spirit lead me where my trust is without borders, let me walk upon the waters wherever you will lead me. And I only discovered that song, I appreciate it's been around a while, but I only discovered that song when I first came to St. George's Tron. And I remember singing it almost thinking, oh, oh, love that, what a great new worship song. And I remember singing it with excitement as I, as I started being part of a new church and thinking, oh, this is great. And then I remember singing it with excitement uh, a couple of years later when I decided to drop a day at my work and do the Forge um, course, which was about missional, learning about new expressions of mission and things. And it was quite, seemed quite a daring thing for me to do. And I remember singing that song thinking, oh, yet again, Lord, lead me where my trust is without borders as I step out into the unknown. And then when I knew I was going to be leaving my job, um, that was decided last year and I, I knew I was going to be finishing March, I remember singing it again and again with a sense of excitement of, oh, Lord, I feel like I'm on a wee winding mountain path and I don't know what's around the corner and it's great and it's so exciting. And then I feel like on the 29th of December, I rounded the corner and there was a big black cave in front of me and I found myself, I'm not really very prone to having pictures, but this, this felt something that I, f I really felt at the time, that I was facing the mouth of this big black cave and I was like, I don't want to go in there. And it was that sense of God saying, I, I know you don't, but I'm going in with you. And on New Year's Day, we sang Oceans. And at that point, nobody, I think only Alistair and Ruth knew that I'd been diagnosed. Nobody else knew yet. But we sang Oceans and I stood at the back and I could feel myself starting to choke up. I could feel myself starting to cry because at that point I was going through all the emotions of shock and fear and, and disbelief and bargaining with God. Please don't let this be happening. And I remember realizing that I had to sing the words for oceans that day. I had to sing, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you will lead me. Because it was that reminder of, you know, the, the, the summing up of Job, the book of Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it was that realization that, well, if I would sing those words with excitement about the unknown, then I also had to sing them when I was terrified about the unknown. So I did. I stood here on New Year's Day and I sang those words. We've sung it at various points throughout this year and I've tried to live it. I've tried to say, Lord, help me keep trusting in you. And there are good days and there are bad days. But that's been a good thing to come from this year is that crystallization, as I said in the film, of, of faith and the presence of Jesus and saying, right, I want to sing this and mean it. And I'm not standing here in some kind of like, and I've totally got it sus. Let me tell you how I do it. I'm, I'm saying that's been part of my learning and I hope it will continue to be. Thank you so much for um, offering to be painted. Just before the summer, uh, Fiona had said to me, um, I'm about to have my last chemotherapy session and I won't look like this <laughs> won't look like this for much longer. Is it any use for a painting? Um, and I, I, I couldn't have been more excited and, and, and 
and partly scared as well to do it, to do the subject justice. Uh, but thank you so much for, for being part of this whole thing. Thank you very much for painting. Alistair. Thank you so much, Ian and Fiona, for your honesty and, uh, and, and willingness to wrestle with a deep and a deeply personal issue in, in ways that are really uh, positive and, and helpful and not easy. Um, we're going to read or hear the passage read today. Just um, uh, before we read um, from Luke chapter 12, we're going to read Psalm 91 which Fiona referred to. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because she loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue her. I will protect her, for she acknowledges my name. She will call on me, and I will answer her. I will be with her in trouble. I will deliver her and honor her. With long life, I will satisfy her and show her my salvation. And now we're going to hear Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34, and David's going to come and read for us. chapter 12, from verses 22 to 34, let us hear the word of God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes you, the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? you of little faith. 
And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. And give thanks to God for this reading of his own holy and inspired word. To his name be every praise. Thanks, David. This teaching of Jesus about worrying, or rather not worrying, comes hot on the heels of a little snapshot moment that we forget about. Someone in the crowd comes to Jesus recognizing in him a, a, a justice, a rabbi, a man of integrity and honesty, and someone who can be trusted and says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Certain that Jesus, being good and trustworthy and reliable, will be the best person to arbitrate in this family dispute. And Jesus cautions this man and those who hear him about not making him a judge or an arbiter, and goes on to warn against all kinds of greed. And then Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool, in which a rich man's land yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought, I haven't got any place to store my crops. What will I do? And so he said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I'll store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up for themselves, but it stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, following on, I tell you, do not worry about your life. We can have a plan. As Fiona said, she had a plan for what was going to happen next. And we store up in our heads and hearts. It's not just that we store up money or possessions. We may not be in a position to do that. But we can store up in our heads and hearts the way it's going to go and what we think is likely to happen. And it may be a rosy picture from where you're sitting at the moment. There may be all sorts of uh, hopeful and positive things that you're looking forward to, and I, I hope they come to pass. But experience of my life and the lives of many people that I know tells me that, you know, everybody sooner or later turns a corner and finds something that they really don't want to see there. This man, of course, was trying to insulate himself from all of the possibilities that might make life tough for him. This is a society where people lived hand to mouth, where infant mortality was high, where people died young, sickness and disease were rife, and a society which struggled to make ends meet and just to have enough for the next meal. And so we have this picture of a man 
with this abundance which was his security, which was his provision for himself and his own need, because who else can you trust but yourself? And so, having had this windfall of a bumper harvest, he makes provision to put it somewhere where he will have provided for his own well-being, safety, and security, because nothing is going to take away from me what is going to make my future safe. And we know when we spell it out like that, it's foolish, (laughs) because you can't cheat the odds. You can't cheat what may happen. And there are things around our corners that are maybe unwelcome. And so, this story of this rich fool, as Jesus describes him, is set against his invitation to take another course. An invitation, instead of worrying, instead of providing for yourself, instead of doing everything that you can to ensure yourself against what may come against you, Jesus invites the other way that says, do you know what? Can you dare to believe in a God who knows your name? Can you dare to believe in a God whose knowledge of you is so personal, detailed, and intimate? Can you dare to believe in a God in a world of sickness and poverty and need and and, and difficulty, can you dare to believe that nonetheless, despite this world mired and buried in sin and brokenness and decay and disease as it is, can you dare to believe that God is good? That God is good and He knows you and He loves you. And Jesus' whole ministry was characterized by signs to prove that very thing, that the power of God at work and flowing through him meant that he could touch those who were riddled with disease, and the disease was no more, that he could turn back conditions that no one else could do anything about. And his invitation is an invitation not to worry against the backdrop of people who didn't know how many days, months, or years they had left in life. These were not platitudes designed to taunt or be cruel to people who knew fine that they might struggle for the next meal or two. These were an invitation to dare to believe something in the face of and over against the challenging, painful, and difficult odds that were staring them in the face in the same way that when Fiona rounded a corner, there was a cave she didn't want to go into. It's the invitation and the challenge that Jesus sets before us. Now, this teaching is set in the context of of finances, of provision, to a people who were poor and struggling financially, to dare to believe that despite the evidence and the experience and the difficulty that was right in front of them, Jesus was challenging them to a different place, raising the stakes, if you like. Can you dare to believe in a God who knows you by name, in a God who cares about your life, 
and a God who is both able on some occasions to provide and take you through the lack, and on other occasions to go into the cave and say, I'll go in with you. Because the reality we all know is that, yes, there are stories and miracles, and when I asked you to talk to one another at the beginning, maybe you shared stories of where God did something unexpected and your fears were unfounded. I've certainly known times and seasons in my life where God stepping in meant that my fears were unfounded and that beautiful things and unexpected things happened. It's an old story now, and I, I resist telling old stories, but Ruth and I, when we were uh, first married, ended up without any cash. We were on three months in, in Israel, and we ended up with no cash whatsoever. We'd spent the last of what we had. We'd made it into some food, which went off within an hour of us making it. We had nothing left. And that day, somebody came to us with an envelope with $25 in it. They knew nothing. You know, sometimes miracles do happen. And, and our walk of faith with Jesus Christ is an invitation to walk a course that is studded with miracles and privilege and unforeseen blessings and is also a hard and difficult way. Callum read for us earlier on Psalm 23, which has sustained the faith of the church for a very long time, and those beautiful words in the middle of it, which say, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus' invitation not to worry, I don't think either was a command or a stick for us to beat ourselves up with, but is a call to a higher place. <laughs> it's not just an invitation in a casual sense that if you can make it, do come. It's a call to a higher place, to dare to believe in a God who is willing to know you by name and have you know Him as Father, a God who is willing to provide for your needs if you will seek His kingdom and make His priorities your priorities. Because if our hearts and lives, He says, are focused on pursuing His priorities, then He says the other things that God knows you need will be added as well. It's a challenging business. But it's a challenging business only if we overthink it. Jesus points to birds and flowers. Birds have very little brains, but they get fed. And his invitation to us is to either cast ourselves with the rich fool who tried to work out his own salvation, situation, provision, security, and future, and ensure himself against the worst that life might throw. And Jesus' invitation was like a little child to take the naive and foolish step of trusting that the Father knows your name and invites you to cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you.
We're going to sing Oceans, the song that Fiona mentioned, and then we're going to move to share communion together. So let's stand and sing, I think. But let me pray before we do that.